What's up, fans of the beautiful game? Welcome to episode 28 of the DKB Footy Show. I am your host, David Ballat, and I am glad to be back once again to talk about the game that we all love, which is football, of course. A lot of things to talk about today, but as usual, I will start off with the Premier League results from last weekend. And we all know the standout match from there, and that was Spurs hosting United at Wembley. United got the 1-0 win. But trust me, this did not tell the whole story of the match. This game could have ended 4-4, maybe 6-3 in favor of Spurs. It could have been 2-0 in favor of United. Really, any scoreline could have been possible in this match because both teams had so many freaking chances in the match. Well, let's even start off with the first half. So in the first half, I believe Spurs had the best, um, had the first opportunity in the first half. I think this was within the first 10 minutes. There was a beautiful ball into the box, which Harry Winks squared, but there was nobody to get the tap in. That would have easily made it 1-0 to Spurs, but they missed that. And then from there, it was really all united for the rest of the first half. They created so many chances and it was obvious that United were trying to play on the counter-attack, not necessarily parking the bus per se, but they were a lot more defensive than they'd been since um, Solskjaer took over the job. So they were playing on the counter-attack, basically, and they created some very good opportunities. Lingard had a good chance where he could have just passed the ball to Martial, but instead he went for goal, and it was off-target. There were a few, a couple other opportunities until... Right at the ending of the first half, Paul Pogba gets the ball. He's not really, he's kind of off balance. He's only able to control the ball once and then he gives a beautiful pass to the other side of the pitch. That's like, I'm talking maybe like 50-yard pass to Marcus Rashford. An excellent pass which puts the ball right in front of the path of Rashford. So he doesn't even need to take a touch to get the ball in front of him the ball is already in front of him and all he, all he needs to do is sprint and take another touch which he did expertly so and put him in a beautiful position to just strike the ball across the ground and into the other side of the of, of the net past hugo loris um some argue that loris should have done better to save the ball um i would say only only about five goalkeepers in europe would have saved that one of which was obviously in the United goal. And I will get back to that in just a minute. But yeah, Rashford got the got the opening goal and it was very well deserved. United absolutely outplayed Spurs in that first half. They ceded possession, but when they were on the ball, they did a lot with the ball. They made sure that they had a lot of quality whenever they were in possession. So despite the fact that they were defending, they were still able to make it as if it was not really a defensive display because in terms of the chances they created, they definitely created more chances than Spurs did in that first half and deserved the lead. So they got the lead going into the break. Second half came in and boy, oh boy, I will just say this was a masterclass from David De Gea. 
save after save after save after save saving with his foot i think he made he made 11 saves in the second half and um and i think maybe at least six of them or seven of them were with his foot or or with some part of his leg that's just like the absolute wonder of a keeper that De Gea is i've never seen a keeper that can basically use all parts of his body all of his limbs to save shots the way the hair does had shots from harry kane dele ali dele ali had a one-on-one opportunity which david hair stood firm and saved with his with his legs again chances for harry kane which david hair saved with his legs um spurs had a lot of chances enough chances that they should have equalized to be honest and um one could argue that it was poor finishing, which I definitely believe it was poor finishing, but a lot of credit must be given to De Gea because despite the fact that, okay, he only really made like two or three world-class saves that no other keeper would probably have made, the vast majority were saves that any, any solid um, top-tier keeper should have saved. But I like what Ben Foster went on Twitter to say. He said that, yes, fair enough that the goals... That, that the saves were not um, out of this world, but the fact that he was in the right position to make those saves says all you need to know about how much of a world-class keeper David De Gea is. He was in the right position for every single shot that Spurs threw at him, and that's all you can ask. All you can ask a keeper is to be positioned rightly so that he has the best chance possible to save any ball that is um, thrown at him. And he did just that. And he also had the luck of Spurs' bad finishing. They really, really did not have their shooting boots on in that match. But that being said, I do not agree with the rhetoric that says that Spurs should have won that match. I completely disagree. Because even in the midst of all those chances that Spurs were creating, United had their own very good chances in the second half to have won. Um, I remember the chance... Pogba had two very good chances. The first of which was the um, was the lob which he he hit, which Loris was able to save. This was actually a very good show of strength from Paul Pogba because at first he shot the ball, he 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 tried a long range shot which went directly into one of the defender's feet. Defender blocked it and then the ball went up into the air, and then Paul Pogba he showed a lot of tenacity to fight for the ball once again so he fought for the ball he got onto he controlled it with his um with his right um with his right lap with his right thigh and it was just for him to basically lob the ball over the keeper but Loris did very well to save it then there was another chance where Martial squared the ball to Pogba and he basically hit a straight shot which was saved by a defender but I think he could have been better in placing that shot as well and then there were other chances where United like had very good counter-attacking opportunities and it was just that final ball that was lacking so I'm sorry despite the chances Spurs missed United could have easily added another goal to make it 2-0 so I do not agree at all that Spurs deserve to win that match at best they could have drawn but for me I think it was a deserved victory for United going to Wembley and getting that kind of results, putting in that kind of performance, I think we deserved that victory and we got it.
and all i can say is ole 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 fucking ole because ole got a social has done has basically pulled a result that united have been unable to ha- put in i would say over the past three years we haven't had three or four years even we haven't had an away victory that good in a very long time okay well you could argue the um Manchester derby victory last season was was great because we beat the champions away from home at the etihad but let's look into context what was at stake manchester city had effectively won the league it was all about waiting for that next win that would cement the title so even if where they lost to us they still won the league the following week and we on the other hand didn't really have too much to play for either so in terms of things that were at stake there was really nothing at stake during that manchester derby but in this match there was a lot at stake because we are fighting for the top four and spurs are fighting to be in the title race so there was a lot at stake for both teams both teams could not have deserved so sorry could not have afforded to lose this match and united got the win away from home against spurs like that's that's an incredible result for Solskjaer. and now that leaves united level on points with arsenal and just six points behind chelsea so i mean if we have a shot at making top four I think this match has definitely made sure of that. It has definitely improved our chances of making the top for that much more. And um, obviously, the the whole headlines after the match involved Solskjaer and his chances of getting the United job on, on a permanent basis. Huh. I think we need to calm down a bit. Um, I'm not really going to say that he deserves to get the the job. But I would say that he has definitely put himself in the conversation. If he hadn't, from the results that we'd had over the past five matches, where we'd been scoring tons of goals and not really conceding too many, I would say now he has firmly put himself into that um, into the running because this, as everybody has been saying, this is the first real test that he had faced and he passed it. I wouldn't say he passed with flying colors because Spurs definitely deserved a goal and we don't know what would have happened if they had made it 1-1, but he has passed. Thank a lot of thanks to De Gea, but also a lot of thanks to his um to his tactical nous because he set this team up to break on the counter-attack something Mourinho was just incapable of doing and I sorry, I'm not even going to get into Mourinho because it's enough bashing of him. He's gone. Like, yeah, he's he's in the past. But Solskjaer, man. I would say though that for him to to really like have no doubt of getting the job, I would say we have to not only make the top 4, but arguably I would say like like make the top 3. I would say that that United have to be I I can understand us finishing maybe in fourth place, but the the distance between if United finish fourth and the third best team in the league should not be that much. I don't think I think for him to get the job, we have to be comfortably in the top four like that. Like by I'm talking like maybe by the like last seven or eight games of the season, United should be comfortably in the top four and looking to even climb further on the table. So. 
if he does that and we win a trophy, this should be the FA Cup or, or the only two trophies we can really win are the FA Cup or the Champions League. If he wins the Champions League, give him the job because like, there is no chance of United winning the Champions League. So if he can do that, that would be a miracle. So he would fully deserve the job. I would, I would riot if he doesn't get the job, if United win the Champions League. Because a lot of people are comparing him to Di Matteo and saying, and saying well, Di Matteo won the Champions League with Chelsea and the following season, it really showed that he still didn't deserve to have the job. But let's look at the manner in which Chelsea won that Champions League. They just basically um, parked the bus in every single match. And there was a huge element of luck in them winning the Champions League. Solskjaer has shown that he is not going, ever going to park the bus. That is never going to be his go-to strategy. He is trying to play a more attacking form of football. Yes, he can seed possession and play a more defensive style, but he's always going to be positive. He's always going to have a positive outlook. So if United, with that squad, can have a positive outlook and can actually beat the likes of of um, PSG who are facing in the next round, the likes of maybe Manchester City, Liverpool, the likes of Barcelona, Juventus, Real Madrid. I think, yeah, he deserves the job because if he wins the Champions League, it's not going to be by a fluke because we're not going to be parking the bus for 90 minutes and just hoping to God that we make one or two good opportunities that we can score from. No, he's actually going to play a more positive attacking style of football. And we all know you need quality players to do that. So if he can pull that off with this squad, then, yeah, this guy definitely deserves the job. But even if we don't win the Champions League, let's say we get to the quarterfinals. Let's say we get past PSG. And let's say maybe we have a kind fixture and we get to the semifinals as well. We, we're comfortably in the top four. Um, and, and there's really no hope of getting Pochettino. Then I would say give him the job. But if there is a good chance of getting Pochettino at the end of the season, he is still undoubtedly the number one person for the job. I mean, look at how the match went. You can't really fault him for the tactics he put out in the match. Because let's look at his Spurs. had they, they, They're also suffering from an injury crisis. And they could have gotten something out of this match easily. But they didn't. But I don't. I think that's not any fault of his. That's more down to the poor finishing of his, of his players on the pitch. So Pochettino is still the man for the job. But Solskjaer, keep doing what you're doing, man. And my opinion will drastically change by the end of the season. So let's get back to Spurs, though. Who lost the match, and where does that leave them? So now they are basically out of the title race because. Even if they, if, 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 if they were not out of it before this match, which I personally thought they were, I think they're definitely out of it now because they are now nine points behind Liverpool. So I think they can kiss their title hopes goodbye. And then, more than that, they have been dealt two huge blows because of this match. Well, first of all, they lost the match, obviously, which was a huge blow. And then literally in the last, in the dying seconds of the match, Harry Kane picked up an injury. He picked up ligament damage, basically. And he is going to be out until mid-March. In fact, he's not going to be training until mid-March, which means even when he's back in training in mid-March, they need to give him a few weeks to really to, um, before getting him back into the starting 11. So we're talking 
until the end of March or the beginning of April before we can see Harry Kane starting a match for Spurs again. That's, I mean, that's a huge, huge blow, a massive blow for them. On top of that, Sun Hyung Min is off to the Asian Cup and he's going to be out until February when the cup is over, unless Korea get knocked out. But what are the chances of that happening? They are among the top two teams in Asia. So they're not going to get knocked out anytime soon. And they, so we expect him not to be back until next month. And obviously, when he comes back, he can't get back straight into the starting eleven because he needs time to rest. I mean, this guy has not had a preseason since the beginning of the 2017-18 season. I don't know what he's on, man. They have to test him for drugs because that's, that's not normal stuff that he's doing. But yeah, Son is off to the Asian Cup. And they have other injuries, the likes of Lucas Mora, um, Victor Wanyama, Eric Dyer, Musa Dembele, and Musa Sissoko are all out. They're all injured. So Spurs are really, really um, have to manage a very, very thin squad. And yeah, I really don't envy Pochettino right now. He has a huge job on top of on his hands. They didn't bring in any players over the, uh, over the summer. I highly doubt they're going to sign anyone in this January transfer window. And despite the fact that I, for one, think that they have a much deeper squad than anybody that most people give them credit for, I don't know how they're going to handle these injuries, man, and these these injuries and 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 the loss of Son. I don't know how they're going to handle it, but it's tough. It's really really tough for them, and I really don't know. But for one, I'm I'm kind of happy about this because I think <clears throat> if they can drop a few more points, then they are also going to be in the top four battle instead of battling for the for the title and that just helps united because it's not only chelsea that we can be fighting with for the top four but spurs as well so i'm really not complaining about these injuries that they have as a united fan i'm happy i'm not gonna lie but united have to take advantage as well and i will see how they go over the the next few weeks but that's about it for that match Next, we've got Brighton nil, Liverpool 1. Liverpool bounced back from their first defeat of the season um, away to Manchester City last week. And here they had another away match against Brighton and they won the match 1-0. It was not... um, Though it was 1-0, I would say that it was a comfortable-ish kind of win. I don't think they struggled that much to get the victory. Um, but it must be said that they didn't really create that many clear-cut chances. The attack is still not cohesive as it was last season. We keep waiting for this front three to really start gelling like they did last season, and it's just not happening. In terms of goals, uh, statistics, yes, they have scored a lot, but they were ripping teams to shreds last season, and that front three, they're really not doing it this season. I, for one, still think that they're going to do it eventually, I think very, very soon, though, in the coming weeks, they will. But they didn't. And the goal was from a Mohamed Salah penalty, which he won for himself. He has been winning a lot of penalties lately. Some controversial, some not so much. This one in particular was not controversial at all, in my opinion. It was a very clear penalty, well-deserved. And he had the composure to step up to the penalty spot and score the goal. So after that, the, the goal went in. Brighton created some half chances, but 
they never really made the Liverpool defense that uncomfortable at all in any part of the game. So a good win. And as I said, the true marker of a championship winning side is how they react to defeats. And I believe Liverpool reacted very well to this defeat because it was a very, it was a comfortable-ish kind of win. However, just as Spurs have an injury crisis, Liverpool have a crisis of their own. And the crisis is in their defense, which I would say this is the area where they really do not want to have any injury, their defense or attack. But the defense especially because we all know how shambolic this defense has been over the past few years. They fixed a lot of those issues this season, but those are down mostly to three players in my opinion, and those are Alisson, Van Dijk, the two obvious ones, and Joe Gomez as well, who has been an excellent partner to, the, to Van Dijk. Gomez has been injured for the past few weeks, and he is still injured with a broken ankle until the end of the month. And then to add um, insult to injury, Trent Alexander-Arnold also picked up an injury in the last match, and he is out for four weeks. That's a massive, massive blow. He is out for four weeks with his injury. So that's probably until the middle of February or, um, or the beginning of February. And um, Dejan Lovren is also out with a hamstring injury until the end of the month. And unfortunately, they loaned out Nathaniel Klein to Bournemouth and they can't call him back. So Liverpool are, have to, are going to have to cope with these, these injuries. And it's going to be tough for them, man, because like, really they don't have a proper replacement for Trent. And uh, Fabinho has had to, had, has had to um, cover in, the, in central defense, which I think he's more than capable of doing that, but they cannot afford any more injuries in, the, in this department. If they do, then it's going to be tough for them. Because that defense, without um, those key players, like they should just pray to God that Allison and Van Dyke don't get injured. Because if they do, then that defense is going to go from 100 to 0 real fucking quick. So Liverpool have an injury crisis, but let's see how Klopp is able to manage that in the coming weeks. Manchester City defeated Wolves three goals to nil. We had goals from Gabriel Jesus. He had a brace, and um, Gabriel Jesus had a brace, and who scored the winning? And then Connor Cody um, had an own goal from a um, Kevin De Bruyne cross, and it was a relatively straightforward victory for for City. Wolves have been very good opposition against top six teams, but it wasn't so in this match. And their case also wasn't helped because when it was 1-0, Willy Bolly got a straight red card in the 19th minute for a very rash challenge in which his studs were exposed and he deserves to get sent off in my opinion. So it didn't help any matters because, I mean, there's no way you're going to defeat City in the Etihad with 10 men when you're already a goal down. It's just not possible. I don't care who you are. So Wolves were never going to, to get the win. And where does that leave City? Well, City have effectively recovered from their, um, from their dip in form over the past month. And over the past three games, they have 
had a 19-0 goal aggregate in the last three matches. That is just nuts. In the um, FA Cup, they won the match against Rotherham 7-0. In the Carabao Cup or the EFL Cup, they defeated Burton Albion 9 goals to nil. And now they have defeated Wolves 3-0. Three clean sheets, scoring 19 goals in the process. That's just absolutely mind-blowing. And also, on top of that, their squad is almost fully fit. De Bruyne is still coming off the bench, but I think they're just trying to manage him. I think he's fine, and he's probably going to start the next match. Um, what's his name? Um, Mendy, Benjamin Mendy. I believe he's back in training, or he's going to be back in training very soon. So, basically, their squad is almost... Oh. The squad is almost fully fit. Excuse me. The squad is almost fully fit, and they are going to be in high hopes and in high confidence going into the business end of the season. Next match, West Ham defeated Arsenal one goal to nil. Had a goal from Declan Rice, and um, it was more or less a deserved victory for West Ham because the Arsenal attack were just not in sync this time around. They created so many chances, but were just lacking that final ball or were lacking the cutting edge to um, get a goal. And West Ham got the win over Arsenal. Arsenal are now level on points with Manchester United, despite that 22-game unbeaten run where everybody was singing the praises of Emery and of the signings that they had made. Despite all of that, they are now level at fifth position on points with Manchester United. That defense is really abysmal. The defense is so bad. They need to do something about that defense. I don't know if they're going to make any signings over the January transfer. I, I read that they can only make loan signings, no permanent deals over the January um, transfer window. Uh, they definitely need somebody in there because the that defense is, is not good at all. And what's up with this Ozil situation, man? Ozil is still not figuring into the plans of Emery. And the reports are that Emery wants him out. Emery has no plans to use Ozil in this squad at all. But Ozil, on the other hand, has no, is in no desire to leave because he is on a massive £350,000 a week five-year contract, which he signed last season. So he fully knows that there is no other team that he can move to that is likely to pick up those wages. So he's in no rush to leave. He's happy to sit on the bench or not even make the bench at all. And Arsenal are the ones really suffering because he is the highest paid player, their best player, who is on immense wages and he's not playing. So that's really sad for them. I don't know what, what it really is because Ozil is still the best player in this Arsenal squad. So I don't really understand why Emery sees no use for him. But that's the way he sees it. And Ozil has to, has to leave one way or the other. I will touch on that a little bit um, after I'm done discussing the matches. <clears throat> Chelsea defeated Newcastle two goals to one at Stamford Bridge. Um, Pedro... Open the scoring from a delicious pass from David Luiz. If you thought the Pogba pass was amazing, David Luiz's was that much better. It was basically from his own defensive half. He 
he hit a cross-field ball over the entire Newcastle defense and onto the chest of Pedro, where he was able to chest the ball down, control it very well, and I think it was a lob finish. Got a lob finish over Dubravka, making it 1-0. And then later on, Kieran Clark got an equalizer for Newcastle from a header, from a set piece. And then Willian got the winning goal with an excellent um, curved finish from the left-hand side of the box. Expertly curved it in and the keeper had no chance. Got the winning goal for Chelsea and they, and they won the match over Newcastle. Chelsea desperately need a new striker because they cannot continue like this. That attack is just not scoring enough goals at all. They can't continue doing um, just winning games by 1-0, 2-1. And with Manchester United's resurgence in form, um, the top four battle is definitely back on. And they are also going to have, to have to struggle with the Europa League once it resumes. They and Arsenal have to struggle with the Europa League, which, mind you, has a round of 32. <clears throat> and it's played on Thursdays. So that squad is quite thin, and they definitely need a new striker. They are going for Higuain, but it seems like they're, really, they're seeing a lot of roadblocks in signing Higuain because it's a really complicated deal to make out. Because, first of all, Iguain is on loan at AC Milan. So, AC Milan will have to have a severance pay if they're going to let go of Iguain. And it seems like AC Milan, um, different camps have different opinions on Iguain Because Gattuso, who's the coach, wants Iguain to stay. He loves Iguain, But Leonardo, who is, I believe, their, um, their, their head of football recruitment or something like that in the t- in the in the club he is not a fan of Iguain and has publicly criticized him over the past few weeks so i really don't know how that's going to happen so first of all Milan have to let go of of Juve sorry of of Iguain, and they have to get a compensation for letting him go and then it seems like um and so that has to happen first before Chelsea are able to negotiate with Juve for Iguain. So it's a really complicated deal to make happen. I don't know how they're going to do it. But they need to get a striker, either him or somebody else. I don't know how they're going to do it, but they need to get it done. Over to La Liga, Barcelona defeated Eibar three goals to nil. Got a double from Luis Suarez and a goal in between Luis Suarez goals from Lionel Messi. Comfortable win for them, and they stay on the top of the league with five points. Real Betis against Real Madrid ended with a Real Madrid victory. They won two goals to one over Real Betis. Luka Modric opened the scoring with an excellent shot um, right outside of the box. And then Sergio Canales, the former Real Madrid player, got an equalizer for them. And then, Luis, so as a, um, and then Danny Ceballos got the winner for Real Madrid in the dying minutes of the match. This was like the 89th minute or 88th minute. He played a free kick, which um, got the keeper off guard because he wasn't in the right position. So the keeper couldn't even move for the ball and it went in. So Real Madrid are now back in the top four after Alaves um, dropped points against Girona in a draw. But Real Madrid are still struggling, man, because they cannot continue to win 1-0, 2-1 against, against mid-table opposition. And I've really not seen... I don't know if they're going to sign any um, 
any world-class players or any players that are of a caliber where they can come in and make a difference. I don't think they're going to sign anybody like that over the winter period. And then on top of that, Gareth Bale and Karim Benzema are both injured. Benzema got an injury in this match against Betis where he awkwardly fell and kind of dislocated his finger, which was quite painful. So he's going to be out for a while. Bale is still out and Madrid have a lot of issues, a lot of issues. I think they're going to have an overhaul basically over the summer. New coach, new squad, basically, because there's a lot of toxicity in this team. And it's not going to be fixed by just getting a new manager. I think some players need to go, including maybe even Sergio Ramos. There are a lot of rumors saying that he might leave at the end of the season. So I don't know, but Real Madrid have a lot of thinking to do. And let's go Madrid defeated Levante 1-0 through a goal from Antoine Griezmann. So this means that they stay second in the league, five points behind Barcelona, and they look like the only team that are capable of putting in a title challenge against Barca. So let's see how their season goes. Athletic Bilbao defeated Sevilla 2-0. Got a double from Inaki Williams, which is funny enough, his first um, goals for the club in about three years. That's incredible. So Sevilla, they are basically out of the title race because they are now 10 points behind Barcelona. So it's safe to say that there is no way they are going to win the league at all. Sevilla have been unable to win an away match since September. And they've been drawing and drawing and drawing at this time around they lost. So I don't know how their season is going to end up. They might not even, they might probably just be in the top four race. Because, yeah, they have no chance of winning the league. It's sad because I thought that they had the squad to go all the way. Uh, But it seems like they don't. So it's sad for them. And bye-bye to their title hopes. Over to Ligue 1. Um, Ligue 1 has returned. And I'm only going to talk about the PSG match. PSG defeated Amiens. Three goals to nil with goals from Cavani, Mbappe, and Marquinhos. Um, yeah, it's a comfortable win for them. We all know they're going to win the league. But I wanted to say, it's really odd to me that they are not going for Mesut Ozil. I mean, this would be a perfect fit in their team because they don't have the best midfield at all. They don't have a world-class number 10. The only world-class midfield that they have who it's even debatable if he's world-class is Marco Verratti, who is so injury-prone as well. And I believe with this midfield, they have no chance of winning the Champions League. But if they were to sign Ozil, I mean, that would increase their chances a decent amount. They could even get him on loan because I understand they are under pressure from UEFA. They are under investigation for financial fair play, for financial... Um, fair play regulations that they might have um, encroached but Ozil they can get him on loan because Arsenal are desperate to let him go and if there's any team that can pick up those wages it's PSG they could even maybe just um, pay half and Arsenal pays the other half or something like that but they can get him on loan till the end of the season and then make the deal permanent next season when they would probably not be under so much pressure from UEFA so yeah, I don't know why they're not going for Ozil, but they definitely should go for Ozil, in my opinion. 
and he would make a lot of difference to this team <clears throat> if they were. But that's just my two cents. Who's listening to me? I don't think PSG are. If they were, though, if, if, if the CEO of PSG or one of the Qatari owners is listening to the DKB footy show, trust me, man, the best thing for you to do is to go and sign Ozil. Coppa Italia, round of 16, was played. And I'm just going to run through the results really quickly. AC Milan defeated Sampdoria by two goals to nil away from home. Juve defeated Bologna two goals to nil with goals from Bernardeschi and Moiskin. Napoli defeated Sassuolo two goals to nil. Inter Milan thrashed Benevento 6-2. And Roma um, thrashed Virtus Entella four goals to nil. And then the Italian Super Cup or the Supercoppa Italiana was played in Saudi Arabia just um, yesterday between Juventus and AC Milan. And no surprise, it was Juventus who got the win. In addition to that, no surprise once again, who got the goal? Cristiano Ronaldo. He got the goal through a header and gave Juventus the 1-0 win. I didn't watch this match, but I saw the highlights. And most of the chances were going Juventus' way. So I think it was a deserved victory for Juventus. And after Ronaldo got the goal, um, Frank Kessie got a red card in the 73rd minute or something like that and that just made the job that much more difficult for ac milan there was no chance that they were going to rebound <coughs> with um with 10 men with one man down and losing one nil to a team as solid as juve who can absolutely defend and equally attack so juve won the super cup and um, surprisingly this is their first super cup win in the past three seasons so good for them and they're going to be returning to the league over the weekend and um, looking forward to that so over to the fixtures for the weekend start off with the premier league and the standout fixture there is going to be a london derby between arsenal and chelsea this is going to be an exciting match i'm really looking forward to this match because despite the fact that both teams are not in form I am expecting goals from this match. I would tip Arsenal as slight favorites because um, going past, judging based on the big games that they've had at the Emirates Stadium this season, they have really, really turned it up. Besides from the, from the Manchester City match, which was their opening match of the season, they have turned up against Liverpool. Um, you could argue that they should have won the match against Liverpool, but they drew 1-1. And they absolutely demolished Spurs 4-2 at the, at the Emirates. So I would place Arsenal as favourites. But they have a dip in form. So I can't rule out Chelsea from this match. Chelsea are also not really in the best of form. But we all know it's a London derby. And Eden Hazard always steps up for these big games. So I expect goals from both teams. A lot of goals from both teams. I don't really expect Sarri to have the same approach that he had against... Um, against City. I um, expect Chelsea to attack, Arsenal to attack as well. I expect Arsenal to really press high up the pitch to try and win the ball in the opposition's half and score goals. And yeah, I really don't know. This, this game could end 4-3. If both teams have their shooting boots on, this game could end something like 3-3, 4-4, 4-3. Who knows, man? But I'm really looking forward to it. 
and I believe United are going to be the overall winners from this match because despite how the match ends, they are going to be that much closer to either going above Arsenal or going very close to Chelsea in the top four. So United are definitely going to be looking at this match as well. <clears throat> but I'm looking forward to it just as a neutral fan because I expect a lot of beautiful football to be played in this match. Liverpool versus Crystal Palace. I expect an easy victory for Liverpool, despite Crystal Palace being very good defensively this season. I think they have actually kept the third or fourth most clean sheets in the league this season, which is quite impressive for um, Roy Hodgson. But it's going to be too much to ask for them to do the same against Liverpool at the at, at Anfield as well. So I expect Liverpool to get a good victory in this match. Um we've got Huddersfield versus Manchester City. Expect the same. I expect City to absolutely demolish Huddersfield. Huddersfield have actually just sacked their coach um David Wagner. So this is going to be their first match. Um I don't think they've appointed anyone new. So it's probably going to be a caretaker boss, which is probably going to be their assistant manager who's going to take over in this match. So he, um, so I expect a very comfortable victory for Manchester City. And then Fulham are at home to Spurs. This is a London derby as well. This could, this could be a very tricky match for Spurs. It could either, I could easily see Spurs absolutely demolishing Fulham. And I could see Fulham nicking a hard-fought victory in this match. Because first of all, they are going off of a loss against, against United. They are without Harry Kane, without Son and the other injured players that I mentioned earlier. And Fulham are fighting for survival. And they are at home. It's a London derby as well. So I expect the atmosphere to be really, really um, something else. I expect it to be really rocking at Craven Cottage. So I don't know how it's going to end. But Fulham should really fancy themselves in this match. They should definitely go all out. They have the players. They have the quality players in the attacking third to really cause Spurs some damage. So I don't know how this match is going to end, but it should be an interesting match. Manchester United at home to Brighton and Hove, um, Brighton and Hove Albion. I expect a straightforward victory for United going off of um, the start that they've had under, under Solskjaer. They are just absolutely revitalized. Marcus Rashford is in the form of his life so far United. Other players in the squad are playing excellently. Pogba is also in the best form he's been in since joining United. And I think they're just going to have too much for Brighton to handle. I expect Brighton to come into this match with a defensive mindset, really parking the bus. But United should get the victory and put pressure on Arsenal and Chelsea when they play later on. (coughs) Over to La Liga. And we've got a big match there as well because it's Real Madrid versus Sevilla. That's going to be a tough match because that um, both teams are not in the best form. Sevilla were looking like title challenges in the past, but um, they definitely do not look like that anymore. And they are actually level on points. They are both on 33 points. So if Real Madrid can get the victory, they're going to go up to third on the table. Um, it's going to be tough, though. It's going to be at the Bernabeu. So Real Madrid are obviously favorites for this match. But if you look at the reverse fixture earlier, Sevilla demolished Real Madrid 3-0. And 
it really wouldn't surprise me if Sevilla got something out of this match because in front of their home fans, we all know how the Bernabeu fans get when their team is not playing well. They start to boo and jeer their team. And when that happens, it really puts a lot of pressure on the players on the pitch. So it really wouldn't surprise me if Sevilla got a win. Um, but anything could happen in this match. But I'm looking forward to it. It should be a really good match. Barcelona are at home against Leganes. Should be a straightforward three points for Barcelona. And Huesca versus Atletico Madrid. I expect a dogged, hard-fought victory for Atletico. And for them to continue to put pressure on Barcelona at the top of the table. And Serie A returns from the winter break. Serie A returns. And what are the matches that are going to be played? Well, we've got Juventus versus Kievo. We've got... Um, Juventus should have a comfortable victory here. We've got Napoli versus Lazio. That's going to be an interesting match as well. Lazio in the top four. And they're going to be looking over their shoulders because if they slip up, AC Milan are going to be well poised to overtake them. And so are AS Roma. It's really, really a tough battle between these guys. Let me even check what the points difference is. Um, so... So basically, um, Lazio are fourth with 32 points, Milan are 5th with 31, and Roma are 6th with 30 points. And then even Sampdoria are in 7th position, have 29 points. And yeah, so even Sampdoria, who are in 7th place, are just 3 points be below the top 4. So if Lazio fail to... Um, if Lazio drop points against Napoli then they are going to be in danger because if AC Milan wins their match, they're going to be go above them. And speaking of AC Milan, they are away against Genoa. So um, let's see how that one goes for them. Genoa are in 14th position on the table, but it's away from home and Milan have really been blowing hot and cold this season. So I cannot predict this match at all. But if they get a win and Lazio fail to defeat Napoli, which I expect them um, to lose or draw because they are going away at Napoli. Um, so AC Milan will be back in the top four. And AS Roma as well are going to be playing against Torino. So if AS Roma win and Lazio lose, Lazio are going to find themselves in sixth position on the table. So there's a lot to play for over the weekend in, in Serie A. Bundesliga is also returning and we've got a very good fixture in the Bundesliga because RB Leipzig are going to be hosting Borussia Dortmund. Um, let's see if Borussia Dortmund are really the, the real deal this time around. So if they are, then they are definitely going to have to defeat um, RB Leipzig. Let me take a look at the table in the Bundesliga. So... Um, Dortmund are still top of the table with six points. They are on 42 points. Leipzig are in fourth position on 31. So Leipzig actually have something to play for as well because they are trying to stay in the top four. And Bayern Munich are definitely going to be looking at this match. They go away to Hoffenheim. And I expect them to win the match because they seem to have gotten their shit together um, finally. And they seem to be putting in a string of very good performances. I think they would have not even wanted the winter break to have come when it did because they're really building momentum and they could lose that momentum if, if, they're not, if they 
um, do not take Hoffenheim seriously. Hoffenheim can be a very tough opposition away from home as well. So it's not going to be a walk in the park for Bayern, but I expect them to um, carry on from the way they um, finished off 2018 and to get to win. Uh, but Leipzig versus Dortmund, I expect Dortmund to get the win, but it's going to be a very exciting match and I expect a lot of goals because Dortmund and Leipzig, they, that's what they do. They just attack first, defend later. So that's about it for the fixtures for the weekend. And let's just talk a little bit about transfers. So we've got a few confirmed transfers that happened over the, the past week. <clears throat> um, well, actually, really just um, two confirmed transfers. We've got Ryan Babel. He has joined Fulham from Besiktas um, on a permanent contract until the end of the season. So we all remember Babel from Liverpool, from his Liverpool days. He didn't really set the world alight, but he definitely showed some glimpses of his brilliance. He was a player with a lot of potential when they signed him. Unfortunately, he never lived up to it. But let's see if he can help Fulham out on their fight to get out of the relegation zone. And then Gabbiadini, Manolo Gabbiadini has left Southampton and he has joined Sampdoria for an undisclosed fee. It really didn't happen for him after those like first five, um, six or seven matches when he joined in the 2016-17 season, where he was really playing out of his socks. Since then, it's not, not really happened for him. And yeah, he has to go because he can't really compete with the likes of Charlie Austin and Danny Ings, who are doing very well in that Southampton attack. So out, um, so he's gone to Sampdoria and let's see if he can get into the starting eleven there. And then Sevilla have said that they are out of the race to sign Morata because they really can't afford his wages or the price tag that Chelsea has placed on him. And Atletico Madrid seem to be the favorites to get his signature, but they have also met an impasse because Atletico Madrid only wants him on loan, but Chelsea wants to sell. They are not going to agree a loan deal. They want to get Morata the fuck out of their team. <laughs> Sorry for him, but yeah, they want to get rid of him as quickly as possible. So they're not going to really agree to a loan because they know that it's possible that he can go to Atletico Madrid on a loan and not play well and Atletico Madrid will decide not to keep him. So they want him out. And then Petr Cech has announced that he'll retire at the end of the season. What a great servant of football Petr Cech has been. A Chelsea legend. He set the world alight and won so many titles on the Chelsea. He won the Premier League, won the Champions League and won basically everything that there, that there was to win. Eventually, he moved to Arsenal. He clearly was not the same keeper he was with Chelsea, but he, he showed Arsenal a few glimpses of, of, um, of how much of a top-class keeper he was. And yeah, check. Easily top five ever, best ever goalkeepers that the Premier League has ever seen, in my opinion. And congratulations to him on a well-earned and decorated career. So some rumors, some transfer rumors as well. <clears throat> so I'll um, just talk a little bit as well um, on the Ozil saga with Arsenal. Arsenal are allegedly so desperate to get rid of Ozil that they are even offering to pay some of his wages if he um, leaves. They're offering to pay some of his wages whenever he decides to go to any team that he decides to go to because we all know he's on £350,000 a week and it's going to be tough for any team to agree to take up those wages because they basically just can't afford them. And there has been some interest from China 
interest from China and also interest from AC Milan. So, in my opinion, though, as I said earlier, PSG, what the hell are you guys doing? You should be going for this guy. He will easily get into your starting 11. I will make your team a lot better. I mean, Ozo feeding Cavani, Neymar, and Mbappe, like, that's just orgasmic. Uh, this has to happen. I don't know how PSG is not going for this guy. Like, something is off, man. Like, I don't know. It's it's crazy to me how they haven't been linked. I haven't seen one story linking PSG to signing Ozo. It's crazy. Because it ticks all the boxes. Who can take over his wages? PSG can afford to. Um, which team can also afford maybe to pay transfer fees? PSG can. They can get him on loan even. So I don't know why they're not doing that. Another rumor is Chicharito off to Valencia. Um, reports are that personal terms have already been agreed, but he can. Um, but if Valencia wants to sign him in this winter transfer window, they have to cough up the money and pay a lot of money that they are just not ready to pay. If not, then they have to wait until the end of the season and get him over the summer. Julian Weigel is also has also been linked to PSG. We all know Tuko had a good relationship with him in Dortmund and he would definitely improve that Dortmund midfield as well. So I don't know if they're going to sign him, but let's see if they do. Christian Eriksen to Real Madrid. That's a rumor that does not go away because Christian Eriksen has refused to sign a new deal to extend his contract. His contract, I believe, expires either at the end of this season or next season. So he's definitely not going to leave in the winter transfer window, but in the summer, it's, it's looking more and more likely that he will. And then, yes, this Iguain conundrum just goes on and on. The, the rumors are that even though AC Milan, even though Juventus are able to get to end the loan deal at AC Milan, they are demanding that Chelsea be the ones to basically pay AC Milan for ending the deal ending the loan deal early and they also insist that Chelsea put in a um a clause to sign him permanently at the end of the season the reason why Juventus are insisting on this clause is because that means Chelsea are going to have to pay more money for the loan because obviously a loan deal where the player is going to the agreement is for him to return to the club next season is not as expensive as a loan deal where the club have agreed to sign the player after the loan expires so that's whole, the whole issue i don't know if it's going to happen it's really really tough because i don't see how chelsea would want to sign a player who's over 30 years old to a long-term deal i don't know how they're going to do that but we'll see we'll see how it goes until the end of the month and then costas manolas has been linked to manchester united very very strong links here it seems like United seem like he's the one. If they're not able to get Koulibaly, who is easily the number one choice, then they think he is the one to help solve their defensive issues. It would not be too difficult to get him because he has a a clause of um, 30, 30 million pounds or 31 million pounds, which in today's transfer market is really nothing for a defender of his stature. So... It seems, though, that it's most likely going to be in the summer that they sign him as well. So watch this space. And then Callum Hudson-Odoi has refused to sign a new deal with Chelsea as Bayern Munich have produced a fourth bid of £35 million. It seems more and more likely that Callum Hudson-Odoi will leave because Chelsea have already signed um, Christian Pulisic. 
So I think in Colin Hudson Odoi's eyes, if they sign Pulisic, then that just makes it that much more difficult for him to get any playing time next season. So he definitely will be looking to leave. And there's going to be a Ribery and Robin-shaped hole once he gets to Bayern. Well, Ribery, um, Robin has already confirmed that he's leaving. Ribery might stay, but we all know he's injury-prone. So Hudson Odoi is going to have opportunities for that. So that's about it for today. Thank you guys for listening once again. You can catch me on social media on Twitter at DKBallet and on Instagram at DBallet. Thanks a lot, guys, for listening, and I will talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye.